From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Where do you go when they want to build a mine in your backyard and both Republicans and Democrats support it? Well, you go to court, of course. On today's podcast, we talk about the proposed lithium mine that everyone seems to support. That is, everyone except the folks who live nearby. Hello, and welcome back once again to Parts Per Billion, the environmental podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. So of the two major political tribes in our country, the Democratic Party is the one that's generally seen as more environmentally minded. And that means Democrats often clash with heavily polluting industries, think chemicals manufacturing, power generation, and most certainly mining. So then why are Democrats, from the State House all the way up to the White House, so bullish on a proposed mega mine in remote northern Nevada? That's because it's a lithium mine, and lithium is, well different. And we'll get to that in a second. The company Lithium Americas wants to build a $1 billion open pit mine near an area called Thacker Pass, and the Biden administration is backing it 100%. But an unusual coalition of environmentalist tribes and ranchers are taking the administration to court to try to block construction of this mine. Bloomberg Law reporter Daniel Moore went out to Thacker Pass to find more about what's going on and to speak to the people on the ground who would be most affected. And I started off my discussion with Daniel by asking him, well, where exactly is Thacker Pass? Yeah, this is the um, far northern reaches of Nevada near the border of Oregon. It is far away from populated areas, um, from cities. It's about an hour north of the nearest town, Winnemucca. It's very, very dry. It's high desert scrubland with lots of, lots of sagebrush. It's a lot of cattle ranches, alfalfa fields, um, and and it's a pretty desolate area to drive through. Just to give the listeners a sense of how isolated this is, I want to hear how you actually got there. Like, where did you fly into and then where did you, you know, I'm assuming you had to fly into somewhere and then rent a car. How did you do it? Yeah, I was actually at a conference beforehand. So I was in Colorado uh, at an energy conference, and I drove from Colorado through Nevada, and it was about a 12-hour drive total. Uh, and it's in part on the loneliest road in America, which is called that because there's not a whole lot there. Uh, Nevada has hundreds of ghost towns within the state, and so you know it's a it's a pretty desolate long drive, but strikingly beautiful given all the mountain ranges and valleys that you go through. One thing you just said that caught my ear was ghost towns. I'm assuming those are towns that were set up to do, you know, mining of silver and other minerals back in in the day. However, now we're talking about mining of a different uh, element, and that would be lithium. Uh, let's get into lithium itself. It went up 400 percent last year. 400 percent. That's insane. What what's going on here? Why is lithium so valuable? Yeah, lithium is 
the lightest metal in the world, in the universe, <laughs> um, on the periodic table. And as such, it's a, it's a key ingredient in batteries for consumer electronics and, crucially, electric vehicles. And so because it's very light, it can be used in these batteries that can be transportable. And what's happened over the last few years is you have electric vehicle manufacturers demanding lithium to use in batteries to make electric vehicles. Um, at the same time, as as manufacturers are driving that demand, you have policymakers saying, we need to find a secure supply of this stuff. We don't want to import it from other countries. We want to develop supplies of lithium and other crit- critical minerals too, like graphite and cobalt and others, other minerals that go into batteries. Uh, we want to develop these supplies in our own country. And so those two things kind of converge to create this huge demand for lithium globally, but also in the U.S. So let's specifically talk about this proposed mine near Thacker Pass in, in northern Nevada, where you visited. How much lithium are the companies saying they think they can get there? Because I, I get the sense it's not just like a little bit. It's a lot of lithium. Yeah, that deposit is the largest known lithium deposit in the U.S. And Lithium America is... At, at its mine, which is just a small part of the deposit, says it can produce 80,000 tons a year at full capacity for 41 years. Now, listeners can do the math on that. Um, but what that means is that annual amount is roughly what was produced across the world in 2020. So it's it's a lot of lithium, simply put. Uh and there's a lot of lithium in that deposit, even beyond the Lithium America's mine. But now let's get into the environmental issues here. And one of the things I really loved about your story is that it seems like everyone is of two minds here. You know, it seems like everyone can really, you know, see the benefits, but also see the downsides. For example, environmentalists, obviously, you'd think that they would be on the one hand in favor of this because we need lithium to make electric batteries uh, and that can help decarbonize uh, our economy. But also, this is a huge mine and mining is one of the most polluting industries out there. Can you give me a sense of where environmentalists are coming down on this? Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, this is a classic example of national and global views on climate change and the local impacts that building this clean energy supply chain will cause. Um, so locally, people, some people really support this mine, um, support this project. They support the jobs and economic benefit that will come. Um, and certainly environmental groups see benefit from mining lithium and producing these batteries as a key climate policy. People near the mine, though, have these concerns about well, mining is destructive to the land. I mean, first of all, it's scooping up earth and it's destroying, you know, impacting certain habitats. Uh, there's a concern, a big concern about water, about um, what happens if the water gets contaminated. There's not a whole lot of water in this area. Um, it, a lot of it is already allocated for agriculture and is drinking water. There's a concern about the water table possibly dropping as a result of this and, and killing off um, some wild rye that you know cattle depend on. And then there's a concern about just the whole processing side of it, bringing in sulfur, which is key to their process of actually extracting the lithium. They bring in sulfur, they truck it in, they produce sul- uh, sulfuric acid, and they use that acid to separate the lithium from clay. Um, and all of this, you know, all of the effect that would have on air on water, on just 
the environment is is a big concern for people who, um, again, this is pretty sparsely populated. It's a beautiful mountain pass. Uh, people, a lot of people don't want to see that um, turn into a mine. And specifically, I want to focus on cattle uh, because one of the plaintiffs who is suing to block this mine is a guy by the name of Edward Bartell. He is a rancher uh, in this area that you spoke to. And another one of his co-plaintiffs is a group called Great Basin Resource Watch, which is an environmentalist group. So we have ranchers and environmentalists on the same side of a lawsuit. That's pretty unusual. Well, tell me about Bartel. Who who is he, and what are his arguments? Why why is he involved in the suit? Yeah, so Edward Bartel has been a cattle ranch, rancher in that area uh, since two thousand eight, and he's been a his family has been ranching for generations in that in that part of the country. And he's concerned about impacts to water and air in that area, and specifically with the water. I mean, he's very familiar with what it takes to raise cattle. He has about five hundred cows. Um, that he puts up on BLM land above the mine, and, th- and then he brings them down onto his ranch, which is a little bit below the mine, but very close to it. And he's concerned about um, the water quality and the water table potentially dropping as the mine withdraws water, which again is is already allocated. The mine has purchased water rights from a neighboring ranch, but he's still concerned that even though they're using the same amount of water, that's what the company says they're going to do, that that could affect his water supply, which then affects the the rye that just naturally grows on his property, which then could affect his cattle that that feed us. So it's a very um, he sees it as a threat. Yeah, he, uh, you spoke to Bartell and one of his neighbors, Gene Williams, uh, and he uh, talked about you know what happens if the projections on the water here are wrong. Uh, let's hear from him. And so if we get this wrong, if we have a four hundred foot tall mountain of waste here and that starts leaching into the groundwater what do you do at that point it's not like you can instantly move that mountain of waste and everybody says oh this is wonderful we're going to give 300 jobs what about our 300 jobs and our private property and all the farmers and their families and and the employees that benefit out here I bet we got more than 300. All right, and then let's get to another stakeholder here, uh, which are the nearby tribal lands. And this is where things get really ambiguous. Um, can you talk about the tribes and their interests here and who among them are opposing this mine? Sure. So about 50 miles north of the proposed mine, uh, the, Fer- the Fort McDermott tribe um, is is a relatively small reservation. It's about 500 people who live there. Um, their main concern is um, that they weren't consulted about this mine, quite frankly. I mean, that the Trump administration had approved it in January 2021, just days before leaving office, and the Biden administration has defended the project and back, backed up that approval. But they're concerned about, again, impacts to water, air. They see this um, mountain pass where the mine would go as sacred to their ancestors, They also are concerned about this massacre that took place in 1865 that they say happened on the mountain pass or near the mountain pass. And and they see a long history of mining in this area contaminating the water and the land. And uh, they they don't believe the promises that the lithium company um, 
has made about being a a good steward of the land. Yeah, and one of the people that you spoke with is Deronda Hinckley, who's a a 24-year-old tribal activist. And, you know, speaking of water, she's very, very concerned about how this will impact uh, water. Let's hear from her. But yeah, the environmental impacts of water were really concerning just because, you know, this is a high desert ecosystem. If you look at it, there's not much water already. And if there is water, it's mostly groundwater. And we all know the story of groundwater. It's going to get polluted. You know, it gets in those aquifers. That's it. You could, like, really damage it for that years and years and years. And so that was, like, big one. And, like, in our ceremonies and stuff, we pray to water. We pray with water. And so, like, that was one of my core, like, values. It's the overlap between the cultural and environmental. I mean, it's, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I tell people that your the environmental concerns are cultural concerns. Yeah. Like, there is a... Like, I don't see the line. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. There are also people in the the you know tribal administration who are concerned about what happens if the mine doesn't get built. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? You spoke with one uh, person, Maxine Redstar, the chairwoman of the Fort McDermott Paiute Shoshone Tribal Council. Um, she's really worried uh, about you know the the other side of this coin. What's what's her, what are her concerns? Yeah, um, Maxine came into office by the way. Uh, just a few weeks before this mine was approved and said she found out about it a few weeks after it was approved um, from an angry tribal member and and claims that she didn't really fully understand the the scope of the project. But, uh, you know, she said she she took um, a collaborative approach with uh, the Bureau of Land Management and wanted to sit down with officials and understand it. And she said she gained assurances that this mine would be well-regulated, would not impact the environment, unlike previous mining in the area. And to her, you know, she wants to create economic opportunity for the next generation of tribal members who live on that reservation. There's not a whole lot around aside from a few rest stops, gas stations. There's a small casino nearby. And there's just, you know, she says that she's gotten calls from people who live across the country, members who had to leave the reservation who now want to come back and work at work at this mine. And she thinks that it can be done in a sustainable way and with about 300 jobs, uh, full-time jobs and 1,000 construction jobs that the company has promised. You know, she sees this as an opportunity that could work for people who live in that area and don't, you know, really have a comparable job that they can go take. Yeah, and you spoke with Maxine, uh, of course, because this is Nevada, you spoke with her in a casino. Uh, and here's her talking about, you know, the tension between the environment and the economy. You know, the, uh, one of my, my councilmen mentioned one time, you know, we're all focused on the histories, we're all focused on right now. 
what about these young kids? What about the people that are in school? We have not heard what they have to say. Are yet our young people, our young adults, our youth, we're not we're not hearing them. Those are our future. What are we gonna leave them? Are we gonna leave them with this desolate land and do nothing with it? And fight, you know, this this corporate giant? Or are we gonna work with that corporation? and provide benefits to our young people that's going to carry us into the future. Because like I said, this is where it's at. Okay, well, there's one other stakeholder here uh, who we haven't talked about yet, and that's Lithium Americas, which is the company that wants to build this mine. Um, what do they say? I get the sense that their their argument, their line of thinking is just because promises were broken in the past doesn't mean that promises will be broken in the future. Is that a fair characterization of their you know their line? Yeah, that's right. I mean, they they don't shy away from talking about the concerns that people have locally. And they've, in fact, they've said they've engaged with all the tribes in the area. They've engaged with the ranching community, the people who live, you know, on either side of this mountain pass. And uh, they've been engaging for years and years. They see this as a mine that can be operated sustainably as kind of a new breed of mine. Um, they mine for four, about four decades, and then they restore the land to what it was. Um, and of course, they they also portray this as as meeting the call of the Biden administration of of demand for this lithium, which has increased in value. And they've been they've been working on this for more than ten years um, in in different. You know, they've been doing exploration. They've been developing it. They've been developing this um, extraction process. Um, they've opened a, a new laboratory in Reno where they can bring people in and show them how it's done. And so, you know, they would say that they've they've developed this safe process um, and they've put a lot of time and investment into it. They point to people in the community who really support this. I mean, there are a lot of supporters of this mine and see this as, you know, necessary for local economic development and also you know, the global fight against climate change. Yeah. And it's worth noting here that it does seem like the environmentalists and the other people who are opposing this mine from a political standpoint are kind of out on their own because Republicans, of course, are very, you know, in favor of this. But so are Democrats, not just in the Biden administration. But you talked about how the Democratic governor of Nevada is also very much in favor of building this mine. Both parties uh, seem to be united on this. Oh, that's right. Yeah, this is you know, securing battery minerals is a bipartisan goal in Washington and that goes down to Nevada. And Nevada is a very mining friendly state too. I mean, I think the both, silver state. The silver state, exactly. I mean, there's there's a long history there of mining and permitting mining and regulating it. Um and yeah, I think I think the the Nevada officials and local officials in the state see this as being a another boom akin to gold and silver in the past. Okay, finally, let's talk about the suit, um, you know, and what the status is there. It sounds like if and when a judge makes a ruling on this case, mining could start very, very soon after that, maybe almost immediately. Um, what's the status of the lawsuit and, you know, what are the potential outcomes here? Yeah, so briefing in the suit has finished, and both parties, all parties, are, are waiting for arguments to be scheduled. So there could be some arguments coming up. Um, the judge could rule at any time, and whenever the judge rules, if they rule against Bartel and the tribes and the environmental groups, um, mining, yeah, could begin 
pretty immediately. And Lithium Emeritus has said they fully intend to start construction, you know, whenever this legal uh, issue is resolved. And if the judge extends the case in any way, I mean, the legal fight could continue. Um, it's been going on for more than 18 months right now. Um, Bartel filed his lawsuit in February 2021. So it's been a lengthy legal process, and it could be even longer until the judge makes a ruling either way. All right. Well, that was Daniel Moore uh, speaking with us about his recent voyage to northern Nevada. Uh, Daniel, thank you so much for talking. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that's it for today's episode of Parts Per Billion. If you want more environmental news, check us out on Twitter. We use the handle at environment, just that, at environment. I'm at David B. Schultz if you want to chat with me. Today's episode of Parts Per Billion was produced by myself, David Schultz. Parts Per Billion was created by Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle and is edited by Zach Sherwood and Chuck McCutcheon. Our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Have you ever thought to yourself, how is that legal? Why is that legal? Have you ever seen a big trial in the news and wondered, what's really happening there? Have you ever pondered the question, why are lawyers the way that they are? And how much money do they really make anyway? These are the things we live and breathe over at On the Merits, Bloomberg Law's weekly legal news podcast. On the Merits looks into the biggest stories playing out in the legal industry right now. And we feature the finest journalists covering the biggest legal stories from across the Bloomberg Law newsroom. You can hear it wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.